Motor Buyer. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around the town, all around the country, yep. all around the world, wherever you may be. That's it. You know, certain things that happen in South Louisiana don't necessarily happen in South Dakota. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> There's quite a few things happening in South Louisiana. I don't have them anywhere in the world. Exactly. But have some type of topic generally sure. we try to discuss, just like a guideline to kind of keep us on board here and don't ramble on too, too much every week. And the same thing today. But, of course, you're never limited to our topic. Whatever question you may have, whatever comment you want to make, you just give us a call. Sure. I'll try to help you out. It's 291 6901. I see our lines are lit up. Let's go to the line with Trey. Good morning, Trey. Good morning, guys. How are y'all? Doing, Doing great, great, sir. Hey, I have a um, 2006 Buick Rendezvous, and I got a uh, check engine light, and I pulled the trouble code, and it was a P0401 EGR issue. Is that something that, as a DIY guy, I can get to and clean out i've seen a couple of things looked at some videos I and mean, like one guy even said you, you may just need to clean the carbon out the sensor might still be good possible um so i just wanted to get your input on on what you usually see with that kind of uh, code and situation on that model well what we get a lot on that one the passageways from the bottom of the valve back through the intake where it picks up the exhaust gas that's where the carbon's at is in the exhaust gas Okay. So that can plug up with carbon. But now, Trey, that is one of about yeah, probably 100. 100 things that can cause that same code. <laughs> okay. So if you just want to throw some, some effort at it and see, it's not that big of a deal. What you can do to kind of narrow it down, if that is the case, if you take the EGR valve off and or just take the bolts out of it and just remove it, from the engine and crank it up if you don't hear a real loud exhaust noise like a huge exhaust leak when you do that then that passage is probably plugged up because the exhaust is not going through it now that's just kind of a cheap way to do it without any kind of tooling or equipment or anything like that okay if that's the case then you might go ahead and clean that out may fix the problem may not fix the problem but you know that's something you can do yourself relatively easy the best thing we have found to clean that out is if you can find like an old speedometer cable because it's flexible and it turns yep. and you, we take those and we take some carbon cleaner and chip out what you can first, blow it all out of there and then take that cable and get in and just kind of rotor root it on out as best you can. Okay. If it's bad enough, you may have to remove the intake manifold to get to all of it because <clears throat> you can get it partially worked. It'll work for a little while and plug up again. So, First, I would try to take the EGR valve off, crank it up, and see if you, hear, if you do not hear a loud exhaust noise. If you hear a loud exhaust noise when you do that, then that's probably not it. Gotcha. Because there's a sensor. The valve itself can go bad. The command to it can go bad. I mean, there's, there's all kind of stuff. Okay. But that is one fairly common problem that I think you probably could fix yourself if you're relatively handy. Okay, and actually getting to the uh, to the valve to remove it is that is that a major ordeal or is I don't it pretty think straightforward? So. They're generally right on top of the motor somewhere. I don't know okay. on that exactly one. I'd have to look <laughs> it up, but they're generally sitting on top of the motor somewhere, and okay. it'll be like a tall silver looking thing with a black plastic top on it. Some wires going into it, you know, and it's got a cast iron base that bolts down. Normally, two bolts holding it down. It could and be three. Usually, there's a special gasket between it and the intake, so right. make sure you don't lose it, and if you do take it off, it's best to replace it. Yeah. Replace that gasket. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Thank right. you so much. Okay. All right. You're welcome. Thanks, call, man. Bye-bye. 
Why? 291-6901 is the number. You want to be part of the automotive fire? We'd love to have you. You know, and those kind of conditions happen all the time. They do. You know, check engine light comes on, and it says, in this case, EGR valve. Well, it says insufficient EGR flow. Right. It doesn't necessarily say EGR valve. Right. Because it could be the valve itself has gone bad, not sure. opening when it should. It could be the ECM is not Commanding. able to command it because maybe the wire is cut or wire is loose or the grounds come off like sure. we talked about last week. And it could be the valve itself is stuck. It just can't open. Can't it open can't pull the pencil open. Now, conversely, it could also be, as he was saying, the passageways have plugged up with carbon. Mm-hmm. And even though the valve is opening, the flow still didn't flow. Still in there. Because I think the way it checks itself is that it looks at the map sensor. It opens that valve. It looks at the map sensor. And it wants to see the intake vacuum rise when the exhaust flows in. Correct. So technically a bad map sensor, Could even though it. it doesn't show a map sensor code, because if that sensor is not sharded or open, it may not know the map sensor is bad. It just doesn't see movement in the sensor when, when the EGR valve, EGR is, commanded valve is commanded open. So it's going to assume there's no flow. You know, it's sort of like on your evaporative emission system, which is kind of the same thing in reverse. It's drawing a vacuum rather than building pressure. But again, if the solenoid opens and it starts trying to draw a vacuum on the tank, if the pressure sensor in the tank does not register that vacuum, it may hold a vacuum. It may achieve a vacuum. Everything may be working. If that sensor doesn't see it to the computer, it ain't it, there. Right. It's not yeah. working. Yeah, it, Kind of my first cousin was a city police officer, and like you say, if it ain't wrote down, it never happened. <laughs> the same thing with this. If the computer doesn't see it, right. it it's didn't not happen. working right. Yeah, it, to, to that computer, it didn't happen. And we do see that a lot, and that is one of those things that can really, really drive you crazy and, sure. and push you in wrong directions. Well, because you're looking for a, a vacuum leak where there isn't one. There isn't one. The, the tank is being vacuumed. It up. is holding. It is it's working. It's, it's just to. not seeing the sensor. And, and, you know, we've seen those pressure sensors go bad all the time. They do go bad. And Fairly common. Then, too, like I said, the wire, a rodent can get up on top of the fuel tank, chew the wire off. Tends to happen a lot. Yeah, because it's a, it's a, it's a little gap between the tank and the floor. And, and for whatever reason, they like to get right up next to the connector and chew yeah, it off yeah. right there. Right not, where you, not out right in the where middle. you can't fix it. Exactly. Yeah. You can't chew it in the middle of the wire where you just solder it back together. Exactly. It's chew it off right at right yeah. the base of a non-replaceable connector. Yep. <laughs> it tends to happen Some kind every of way time. they know. They know which ones you can't get. Because you know, some of those connectors just aren't available. Right. Some that's, of them are. that's the one they're going to find. That's it. <laughs> I don't know how they know. but The, the one the one you can get readily, now nah, they ain't going to mess with that one. <laughs> But yeah, it's kind of a, a situation where we had a, a guy a while back, and his air conditioner kept going off. Kept turning off? Kept turning off, and just wouldn't come on. He says, well, you know, it must be the clutch because it's going on. I said, no, it doesn't mean it's the clutch. What you have to do first off is see if you got power and ground going to the clutch. When it's, when it's off. Right. If you got power and ground when it's off, then you can pretty much assume it's the clutch. Sure. But if you don't have power and ground, it can, you have to trace the circuit back. And find out why you don't have power. Why don't you have power and ground? And on this particular instance, what had happened, the sensor that fed the computer, not the one on the gauge, because he had a gauge, Mm -hmm. the sensor that fed the computer was saying that the engine was overheating. And it it wasn't reading totally, you know, it wasn't that it wasn't reading. It was reading, it was reading wrong. The range had got off on it. So when the engine was at 200 degrees, it was registering about 240 degrees. Exactly. And the first thing that the computer does is say, wait a minute, this engine's overheating. we got to turn off the unnecessary right. accessories. Right. The AC's first. Shuts, shuts the AC down. And I 
told him, I said, well, no, it's not, the gauge doesn't, it, it, the engine's not overheating. I said, I didn't say the engine was overheating. I said, the engine thinks, thinks it's, it's overheating. Exactly. Well, the gauge isn't showing that. Well, you got two different sensors, one for the gauge mm-hmm. and one for the computer. And long story short, we ended up replacing the sensor and it, right. everything was okay. And, you know, that information is on a, uh, you can get that on your scan tool. Yes. Uh, live data readings. Mm-hmm. You can get, it actually shows two uh, coolant temperature sensors, one right. for the gauge, one for the computer. And when you're, when you're watching it, you can see the temperature that they're reading. And if one is reading correct and the other one is not, or they should be reading fairly cl- close together. Mm-hmm. If they're not, something's wrong. Yeah. So then you got to start backing up and figuring, hey, which one of these is not reading correctly? Well, is, yeah. it, is it under temp or is it over temp? Right. Because uh, that will all, being under temp or taking too long to achieve temperature, will also set a check in. Sure. Tonight. I think it's PO 132. And... It'll also affect your fuel economy. Well, it'll drastically affect fuel economy because when the engine is under temperature or thinks it's under temperature, it's going to start double firing those injectors, increasing the pulse width on the injector because it doesn't have a choke like the mm-hmm. old engine. So if it thinks the engine's cold, it's going to reach in the mixture to make it run right. Exactly. And Even if it's not. That can also, it can throw a too rich or too lean code mm-hmm. or throw a mixture code because all it knows is the mixture is wrong according to what it should be, according to the temperature I think it is. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, when you ha- when you start to chase this stuff down, you got to have an understanding about how this system works. Where are these inputs coming from? And then you got to figure, okay, which ones of these could affect it? Because the code that it's going to register may or may not have anything to do with that. Exactly, it's just going to give you a code based on what it perceives as wrong. As right, it's the way the software is written. If this happened, if these consecutive things happen, you turn the light on under this code. Yeah, in other words, let's let's put this much fuel, this much pulse width on the injectors for this much airflow and for this temperature, and that should be right. Well, if it's not right, it's just going to throw a code. Hey, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know what's wrong. It no, it knows, knows the something's wrong. reading wrong. If the airflow meter is dirty and not reading properly, is there a vacuum leak? Is an injector dribbling and, and putting too much fuel in? Even is a spark plug misfiring so unburned fuel is entering the exhaust? All it's, it's taking reading off the oxygen sensors also. So there's too much oxygen remaining in the exhaust. It knows it's incomplete combustion, but it doesn't know why. Right. So, so it sets a O2 out of range code. Right. That's right. <laughs> so... Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit more about that and some other things just as soon as we get back from this first break. If you ever plan to motor west. TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, brah. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. 
join us at the Automotive Iron. Your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way, any time of the day or night. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Sure wish you would. Appreciate hearing from you and getting some ideas from you. That We use that pretty well. <laughs> a pretty lot. Regular, a little, regular, topics. Yeah, right. We kind of review the different email that we get, and then that tells us what people are thinking about. So it kind of gives us a little topic for the show. Well, hopefully keeps us current <laughs> on, on information. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about some things that can steer you wrong, uh-huh. appear to be what they're not. And... You were telling me about a, uh, I think it was a Dodge truck. It's a little Dodge Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came in with the symptom uh, O2 sensor code. It kept setting O2 sensor codes. Right. And this truck had been to four, five different shops, plus the owner had thrown a couple O2 sensors at it. Mm-hmm. Every shop wanted to put an O2 sensor in it. And come to find out what was happening with this vehicle is the exhaust manifold was cracked. Okay. And you would think an exhaust manifold crack with the engine running, you would hear it. Right. But this one was actually pulling fresh air right. into the exhaust stream. The area of the curvature, the gas was flowing past it, creating it was a vacuum. A it was draw, actually yeah, a draw. Pulling, the, pulling fresh air into the system that it wasn't supposed to be in there. Right, rather than, rather than blowing exhaust gas. I mean, this was a fairly non-restricted exhaust, I guess. And it's sort of like a Venturi effect. When that gas runs past the crack, it just draws air in. Right. And it was setting uh, O2 out-of-range codes. Mm-hmm. And come to find out, we, we changed the exhaust manifold and, and fixed the vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. And who would Who would have thought? That? Yeah. And some of these, it sounds, well, why didn't you see the crack? Because a lot of these are covered up with all kinds of shielding. They are. And yeah. I think this crack was actually on the block side yeah, where you couldn't see it. couldn't see it. It's and not making hear it. sound. So you just have to infer, hey, there's too much oxygen in the exhaust. Why? Why? Yeah, and that's the way, kind of like we talked about last week, you got to ask the question, why? Sure, you got to do the detective work. you got to look for the root cause, because the simplest thing, the oxygen sensor's out of range, change the sensor. Right. And the first time, I think the owner went and he bought an aftermarket sensor, well, he took it to a shop, and they said, well, that's probably a bad sensor. They put another aftermarket sensor on it. Mm-hmm. The same problem. Goes to another shop, and they said, well, let's try an OEM sensor. So they get the VIN number, they get an OEM since they put it on, well, it's still got the same problem. Well, and I think what was happening is every time the O2 sensor was changed, the light would go out, mm-hmm. and it would stay out for a month or so. Yeah. And then it would come back on, yeah. same same code and Well, they were, they were clearing all the readiness tests and all that. It just took it a while for it took that. took it a while to relearn. Because Plus, it, it took it a while because of the crack. It wasn't a horrible amount off. It was just it was a cumulative thing. Over sure. time, it would build up, and when it got to a certain threshold, then it boom, would kick the light, kick the light on. on. So let's go back to our phone lines. we got Scotty online. Good morning, Scotty. Morning, fellas. How yes, y'all doing? Good, Good morning, morning, sir. I got a problem with my gas tank. I cannot fill my tank much past three-quarters full. I looked it up online, and uh, everything I read made sense, except for one thing. I don't top off my tank. All right. Okay. Scotty, first of all, what kind of vehicle is it? I have uh, a Toyota 4Runner. Toyota 4Runner. And when you say you can only put that much fuel, what's actually happening? You know, I, I, I put the nozzle in the tank. Right. I automatically fill it, and it cuts off. Okay. And that's that's all I can put in the tank. When you put when you turn the key back on, the gauge only shows three quarters? Exactly. Okay. And now, I, I've, see, I, I've, I've checked it out. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very certain that it is, in fact, three quarters full. Okay. 
Well, you see, because that would be my first thing. you got to make sure that the gauges are reading properly in it because if the gauge is reading three-quarters when it's really full, you know, you're going to have that. That would be probably the simplest thing. And if I'm not mistaken, that forerunner used a really, really weird setup on those gauges. I'm not sure it doesn't have two, <laughs> mm-hmm. two floats on it, and it averages between them. I know we had one come in and gave us fits for a long time, had a bad connector on the second float. So I would first off want to make sure that I'm getting accurate information that the gauge is, and I'm not sure, I guess the best way to do that is maybe run it near empty, fill it, and then see how much fuel it takes. And that's exactly what I did. Okay, okay. and it, it is definitely not taking the proper yeah, amount. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to say I'm 99.9% sure yeah, that yeah. the gauges are if okay. If you're sure the gauges are okay, the first or the second thing that would occur to me, have you inspected the tank, make sure it's not a dent in the bottom of the tank or anything like that? I, I have not. I would get under there because most of them have some kind of a shield over that tank. You can run into something and bend the bottom of the tank up, and that was going to cut down the amount of fuel that's going to hold. So that, that would have to be a heck of a dent, though, wouldn't it? Not so much, no, because it's probably only got at most a 16-gallon tank. So you figure if it pushes it up three or four inches, that's going to probably displace four gallons of fuel, which is you know 25%. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, that I mean, that's one of the common things we see. The other thing, if you could sit there and try to add more fuel very slowly and see if it takes it, is it just kicking the nozzle off because the fuel's backing up and hitting the nozzle? So what I would probably uh, try next, I know I always tell you don't don't top off, and it's a good idea not to top off as a general rule, but if you could put very slowly, just let some trickle and see if it would hold, take a lot more. Uh, as a matter of fact, I did that, mm-hmm. and uh, it it kicked off again. It still kicks off. Okay, yeah. well, there's probably not anything in the vent system because the vent system operates on, as the fuel goes in, it builds pressure in the tank, and that pressure backs up the fuel, hits the nozzle, and cuts it off. If you're letting it trickle in very slowly, that should not take place. So huh. I would first get under the vehicle, make sure nothing is damaged in the tank. You know, that, that would prevent that. The only other thing I can think of, and this is a real, real long shot, is if there's some kind of foreign material in, in the tank, something that's gotten into the tank that's taking up some space in there. But I can't think of hardly anything else that would you know, prevent it from filling like that. I mean, there's lots and lots well, of things on the vent system that will make the nozzle cut off. But if you put if it in very, just, very slowly, it should it should go past that. If it's just air in the tank, mm-hmm. if I go slowly, will that work the air out? It's not going to work it out because the thing is, it's got an evaporative emission system that sucks it out. So if it's got air trapped in the tank, it's because something is not working in the evaporative emission system, which should throw a check engine light. I mean, it's, it's going to check all that kind of stuff. So if you okay, don't, check engine light is not coming on. Yeah, so see, you probably don't have a problem like that. I'm leaning more towards a mechanical problem. Let me think about it some more and go and check this week and make sure that tank is not bent or damaged or anything, you know, silly like that. And okay. if uh, if that's the case, I, I, I just can't think of anything that wouldn't throw a check engine light. I mean, there's lots of things that can make the tank cut off, but, again, they're all going to throw a check engine light because of the evaporative emission system. It monitors that real, real close. Okay. Well, I'll check that out this week. Thanks a lot, fellas. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Okay, Scotty. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. And, you know, that if there's a number of things in the fuel system – that cannot allow the tank to vent, and you're putting fuel in, so air's got to go out somewhere. Right. 
if the air can't get out, it's, it's going to push the fuel back up, which is going to cut the nozzle off. Sure. But almost any of those should set a check engine light. And it always cut, it always cuts off at three-quarters of a tank. Right. Which is odd. Yeah, it is. It, like you're saying, it's almost got to have some kind of restriction in it that's not allowing the, the extra quarter yeah, tank I'm, to go I'm in. Yeah, I'm thinking it. almost like a mechanical problem. Now, I guess if the tank maybe got hit on one side, pushed one side up where it was leaning, it's not level any longer. And the air is... That could, could trap the air in there. If that tank... I just thought about this. Uh-huh. That tank is not flat at the top. Mm-hmm. That tank has raised portions that in it correct. and lower parts. The mm-hmm. pump sits in the lower part, and it's got two raised ends on it. Right. If that vent is plugged up... Could be. And then top, then it's not going to let that air run out. Once the fuel comes up past the, the lowest part of the tank, it's going to trap that air on the other side, and that could very well be a quarter tank of fuel. Yeah. It yeah. Sounds, it, that's exactly what yeah, it sounds it's, like. It's got a very strange system on there. Yeah. Uh, you almost have to get into service data. I remember working on one, and we had to end up going back three times to finally find the problem because we never could duplicate it in the shop. Mm-hmm. And it had two two center units in it, and it averages the readings between them. Right. And the and that, connector on one of them, the secondary sensor, was bad. Right. That would throw the gauge off. Right. And but not allowing fuel in has right. got to be some kind of mechanical, like you said. And if the air is not coming out of that top portion on one side, if that vent is stopped up. Right. It's got a tube that connects them. That connects them, them all them, together. lets them all vent out well, together. Well, it equalizes the pressure from right. side to side. So if it's not venting, then it's not going to let fuel come out. Right. I mean, it's not going to let fuel go in. Yeah, because the air, air is going to cause a lock, which is going to push down on the fuel, which, which is, is going to push force it back amount. up That's and right. kick the nozzle off. Mm-hmm. Very well could be a vacuum, uh, I mean, a, a vent issue on the tank. Yeah, yeah. And that one, you can, there's an access panel, I think, on the top, but I don't on believe. On the forerunner, I don't believe. You have to take the tank out. Okay, yeah. You, I, I don't on the think, cars. You, you can see the fuel pump, but you can't see the centers anyway. No, even if you could. Even if you could. So, yeah, probably would have to drop the tank Now, out. if the tank has been out, it's very possible that vent tube could have gotten pinched, pinched. when it put back yeah, together. Yeah, if the tank was ever removed for some reason to change the fuel pump or to change the center or to fix an evap leak, sure. it could possibly have caused pinched that. that. Pinch that vent. Hey, take our second quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. Hey, Mike, I'm thinking about boiling some shrimp. You know where I can get a good price? Oh, yeah. I got a shrimp guy, but there's a catch. His name is Remy Labateau, and you have to go down to Lafouche Parish and meet him after midnight. Okay. He'll be behind the dumpster of an abandoned fireworks stand off Louisiana 1, and you have to buy exactly 50.3 pounds. Well, that's oddly specific. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, look no further than the team at Agco Automotive. No hassles, just straight up quality maintenance and repairs. And with Agco's general inspection, they can perform an annual checkup to find any problems and schedule maintenance to keep your car running right, saving you money in the long run. So what kind of seasoning do you use? Oh, I got a seasoning guy too. How do you feel about traveling to Bangkok? Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. noise off the river to Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a... There you go. <laughs> Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment about the show, you just give us a call. It's 291-6901. All our lines wide open. We'll be glad to help you out and point you in the right direction. That we will. We were talking before the show about a topic and, and things. And one thing that 
continues to wreak havoc in the automotive repair industry. This is not unique to us. Mm -hmm. Every shop has this problem to one degree or another, and it always ends up costing the customer more money and many times the shop frustration frustration in the shop and also the problem not resolved or at least not resolved on the first visit and that is communicating with the shop to get the right complaint to them because many things that seem to make sense to the customer really do not make sense to to a technical mind Uh uh-huh one of the very, very, very most common things is you tell the shop, my car won't start. And what you mean is the car won't crank. And to a shop, that's two different That is enemies. two totally, completely different things. And where that is really, really an issue is that, let's say it's an intermittent problem. It only happens every once in a while. So you bring the shop the car. You say, "My every once in a while, my car won't start. Well, he gets in there, he hits the switch, and it starts every time. Right. But one time, he hits the switch, he goes click, and he lets off, and he hits it again. Well, that's what you were talking about. But he has no way to know that. Because he just figures, well, he already knows about that because he says it won't start. Right. And so he keeps looking for a no start issue. Something that would be related to the engine not running. Instead of saying, every once in a while, when I turn my key, it just goes click, and nothing else happens which okay. would be a more accurate. Now I know what I'm looking for. Right. That is a no-crank situation. No-crank situation. Which so is checking, a totally different diagnostic right. procedure. Well, you're checking the cranking system, the battery, and all that kind of stuff. No start is when it cranks over fine, which crank means yang, 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 yang. Uh-huh. And that comes back from, as a throwback to the old days when you actually had a crank on a car. You right. have to crank right. it to start it. Those are old days. Right. But, <laughs> but now there's a starter motor that does that for you. But it's still, the motor has to turn over for it to, to start. fire off and start and mm-hmm. all that thing. So if it doesn't crank or intermittently doesn't crank or it clicks and does, you have to tell the shop that specifically. Exactly. Because if not, you're very, very unlikely to get that situation resolved. And we see that just all the time. Let's go back to our phone lines and see. Here we go. I'm trying to see the name. My eyes are so bad I can't only read the screen. we got Brian online. Good morning, Brian. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Um, good morning. Have- all right. Last weekend, my check engine light came on on my Jeep Rubicon, Jeep Wrangler Rubicon, mm-hmm. and only thing I'm qualified to do is take the gas cap off and put it back on, and uh, I did that, and before I could get around to calling you uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, I did a fill-up and then put maybe two or three days' worth of driving on right. it, and I noticed the check engine light went away. Mm-hmm. So how concerned, how concerned should I be? Well, it's not gone. What happens, Brian, that's called the evaporative emissions system. And one thing that's kind of unique about that system, as far as check engine light goes, is that when you fill the tank, it's going to abort that test. It's not going to run that test until it gets down to three-quarters of a tank. The reason being, if it tried to run the test with a full tank, it would suck gas into the evap system, which would damage it. So if it's got more than three-quarters of a tank, or less than a quarter of a tank, it's going to abort the test. So let's say you were just above a quarter of a tank, okay, when this occurred. You took the cap off, put it back on. When it ran down below a quarter of a tank, it quit testing. So it didn't test for a few days. Then you fill the tank up. It's going to continue to not test. Now, if it does not test over a period of so many key cycles, it'll just move the code to history and clear the active memory so that it can check for other things. The code will still be in there, just be in history. 
when you get to three quarters of a tank, it's going to run the test again, and light's very likely going to pop on. Now, I mean, you can obviously wait till you get to three quarters of a tank and verify that thing, but that's just so common of an issue. We see it just all, all, all the time. But it has to be between three quarter and one quarter. You know, somewhere around half tank is where you're going to see that code pop up. Okay. Yeah. And I'm between, I'm, I'm below three quarters now, but I haven't hit the half yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put about 50 miles on it today. Yeah. And see, it doesn't need to have a lot of miles. It wants to see a cold start. Another thing that can happen, let's say you crank the car up. Okay. That's a cold start. But before it can execute that test, you turn it off. Okay, well, it didn't run the test. Well, next time you start, it's not a cold start again because the engine's already, you know, so it may have barked that test all day long. Right. So it's okay. kind of weird, but it's going to very likely come back. Now, if the light never comes back again, don't worry about it. You know, uh, okay. it, it'll definitely, if the light comes back, then the code, but it's, it's, it's not like old cars where if the light wasn't on, you couldn't check it. It has a history file that it moves it to, so the code will still be in history. Just make sure the light okay. checks. When you turn the ignition key on, the, the check engine light should come on. When you crank the vehicle up and release it and it's running, the light should go out. Right. It does a check every time you cycle the key. Right. So if it's still doing the check, then we know the light's good so it can communicate. Gotcha. All right. Okay, yeah, my my main concern was making sure I'm not causing some kind of uh, bad damage by yeah, most, continuing to drive it. Yeah, most evaporative emissions codes are not damaging to the vehicle. They're annoying to the driver. They will fail inspection, so you won't be able to get an inspection sticker with it. So it's something you got to do. Now, the other thing is if the light's on and you ignore it, another problem could occur that is damaging and you wouldn't know because the light's already on and you're ignoring it. So, <laughs> And we that have seen sense. some some obscure things happen, you know, with a evap. Uh, particularly in the case of a, a Chevy truck we worked on, the uh, vent solenoid was shorting out, and it was pulling the five volt reference down to the ECM. And when the ECM saw that, it changed something in the the system, and it actually set a reduced engine power code. Yeah, re- cut, the cut, vehicle cut, went into reduced power. engine power. Right, cleared that code, fixed evap valve, never came back. Yeah, it's not common, but it not can, common. It can cause other can cause other things. Okay. Well, I guess if it comes back on, I'll I'll make an appointment. That sounds great, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Brian. Right, thanks. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to call the automotive hour, we see that a lot where the light will pop on. People will call us, mm-hmm. make an appointment, and sometimes we're three or four days out on appointments. And in the interim, they'll fill the tank with fuel. Well, the light goes off. So they'll call back and cancel the appointment. Sure. And you'll tell them, look, I wouldn't do that. We need to check. Well, the light's out. Okay. But inevitably, in another couple of days, we'll keep, keep, it, keep yeah. checking out. No, <laughs> We've already filled out a point. So, yeah, that's um, all ca- modern cars, and I would say, what, 96 on up, OBD are going to store, yeah, store codes, not going to get rid of the code. The light doesn't have to be on to find the problem. Right. It's going to move that code to history if it doesn't rerun the test or if it, even if it clears the test, it will still move that code to history. It will still be in the history file. Right. For, for, I think it's so many key cycles. So many key cycles. cycles. Yeah. yeah. Every car is different. different. And, you know, not all of them do that. Some of them, when the light comes on, it just stays on. It does right. not it go does off. Not. Certain codes will auto clear. Certain codes will not auto clear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, it, 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 and, it, and you really mean, need to be aware of a check engine light that is flashing. Yeah. Now that means you have to stop. Right. It's kind of like when, uh, you know, a police officer comes behind you and puts those lights on, they're flashing. What does I mean, that mean? That's right. Stop. When you, when you get the railroad track, <laughs> that light's flashing. What does it mean? Stop. <laughs> check, check engine light flashing means the same thing. There you go. Let's go back to our phones. John, good morning, John. Morning, morning, guys. Got a question about uh, cleaning some 
TVAP coils on my Suburban. Okay. Uh, I'm getting the nasty smell inside the, inside the, the vehicle. Uh-huh. And I've seen lots of videos and lots of different products and different ways. My question to you, what is not the easiest, what, not the quickest, what is the best way to get those as clean as possible? What year Suburban is that? It's a, four, it's a 13. 13. Does it have a cabin filter? I don't remember if those do I don't or not. think so. They, they do not. They okay. do not, and that's something they make I've a, read where there's some sort of retrofit. There, there is. There is. John, I, the, but before I put that kit in, mm-hmm. I want to clean them first. Yes. Well, the, and, the, the best way and the safest way is going to be to go in and remove the bottom of the evaporator case, and I believe that one will come out without pulling the dash. And I'd have to ask one of the guys at the shop because I haven't worked on one myself. But you need to get to that core. If you can't do that, sometimes you could take the blower motor out and reach in there and get to the case. And a good uh, bristle-type brush, because that dust and trash is sucking through there, and it's going to be embedded in that case. You can't use anything right. metal because it's soft aluminum. So you can't use like a wire brush or anything. You could puncture the, co- uh, the core. Right. And then you really right. got big problems. But something like a soft bristle brush, you spray your cleaner on it, brush it, and just keep doing that until you can get it. I mean, a be- lot of that core is not going to be accessible. Yeah. You're not going to be able to access well, the whole thing without taking so, it out. So if you what had... I, what I'm seeing is there are products that you can get that you spray in there, and it foams up, uh-huh. and it cleans, and it runs out the drain tube. Right. Have you had any experience in using any of that before? We have. We, we use that on the evaporator sometimes, yeah, on sometimes, the condensers. Sometimes it works, but it's not um, too bad. But, you know, if it's really plugged up bad, then that usually is not going to get it out of there. It's just too It's tight. embedded. Yeah, it's embedded in there, and it'll get to that outer layer, and it'll foam up, but it can't get to you where it's all plugged up in there. I mean, it's certainly worth a try, and I would be a little careful. I wouldn't buy anything from just anybody. I don't want any kind of imported products that might be caustic enough to eat the core up, you know, because you know how it is. Let me ask you. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I know what you're saying. Let me ask you this. What my plan was was to pull the blower motor mm-hmm. and then attach, make a smaller hose on my wet back and run that hose up against the face of that evaporator and try to suck some of that out. Was there be enough vacuum force to even make Pro- a dent in doing something like that? Probably not, but it's not. It's worth a try. It can't hurt anything so long as you don't use a hard plastic tube or anything that could damage the core. Right. Usually that dust has turned to like. Almost, uh, almost like a paste, paste yeah. yeah. It, it kind of embeds itself uh, in there. And anything that went in there with it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult to really get it out properly without removing the core. But it's yeah, certainly don't. worth a try. Er, like everything else, it depends on degree, You know how bad it is. If it's not too bad, right. you could probably do a pretty good job cleaning it up. If it's worse, then you, you would have a bigger problem. It's not working bad. I don't have reduced airflow. At least I don't think I do. Yeah. It's just it's just the smell well, in my wife. So, yeah. Yeah, that could definitely do it. And it could also be that you've got, you could have something like a little rodent or something that's crawled up in that case and died. That'll make a huge, huge smell. <laughs> and that does happen, believe yeah, it or not. It does. <laughs> yep. Ooh, she'd have a fit over Oh, that. yeah. You'd be, you'd be amazed if we pull out of those evaporator cases. <laughs> Just don't tell her. Right, right, exactly. Just, I got to clean in this fix, boo. <laughs> yep. Just dirty. Just dirty. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate the advice. Thanks so much. Okay, All John, right, sir. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we got time to take one more for the break. Well, you got Randy on line. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I've got a 2013 Grand Caravan. Okay. 
Uh, I know the brakes need to be done because you told me when I brought it in for the transmission. Mm-hmm. But other than that, what kind of maintenance do I need to do? It's got about 70000 uh, Randy, kind of yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't have a book with it. So. Well, what's going to depend on is number one, the way the vehicle has been operated, and number two, the you know the things that have already been done, which we don't know about. What I would suggest is bring it in and do a general inspection, and that's where they'll go completely through it. They will check all the maintenance requirements, check what's been done, what hadn't been done, because see, one vehicle may need this at that many miles, another might need not not need that at all. It's just the way it was operated. You know, okay. so I would start off with a general inspection. That'll tell you exactly where you stand right now. You rather than try to remember all the things. I mean, as a just a, a guideline, if the coolant has not been changed, it's certainly past due. So I would be looking at that. If the you said you done you done a transmission on right. it, so that differential that's good. Right. Uh, the, the differential. Differential if it has that. I mean, just depending brake fluid, on yeah, depending brake fluid. Which, if you're doing the brakes, you're right. doing brake fluid with that air filter, cabin filter. Yeah, there's lots um, of little things of in there things. that it almost requires an inspection to let you know where you stand now in relation okay. to where you want to be. Okay, that'll work. Then right. I'll try to set up an appointment. Well, great. I'm, I'm disabled, so I gotta make an appointment. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Just just call Elizabeth; and she'll set it up for you. We'll get it in, check it out, and see. I appreciate it. All right, Randy, thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take our first, our third quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Mark, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. ACO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour final segment, and we got Mr. Brian Terry, our general manager from ACO. I'm Louis Aldazan, uh, president. <laughs> <laughs> president of ACO Automotive. There you go. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, yeah, hey, it works. Yeah, right? my, my mouth is, uh, you know, put your, put your brain in gear before you put your mouth in motion. There you go. Let's go to our phone lines with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. How you good doing? Good morning. Doing great. Great, great. Long time since we spoke. Yeah, it's crazy how much the world's changed. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm calling about my wife's car. She's got a 2008 uh, RAV4. Okay. Uh, and it's got the partial four-wheel drive system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's just designed to sort of get you out of a muddy field. But I was just wondering, do I need to make sure that the tires have always got equal tread on that? Yes. 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 Very important. Now, Mark, like everything, it's a matter of degree. If you've got one tire, let's say you put a new set of tires on there, and 5,000 miles later one gets damaged, well, yeah, you could do that. But if they're half-worn or so, or no, more. you can't put a new one on it. You would have to change all four tires. So, okay, so maybe maybe my understanding's wrong then, because I thought with the partial system... Okay, now, it's, 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 not, a, it's not all-wheel drive. I mean, it's, it's not full-time all-wheel drive. 
No, 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 it's not full-time, um, but I don't know exactly how it works. I think it's just designed to kick in when you need it or when you press the diff lock button on the dash. Yeah, so I, okay, so that, that one just has the I diff lock. Know. Yeah, yeah it, it, it okay. may not be a differential lock. Right. Yeah, that wouldn't be... That wouldn't the ones that I'm talking about, the all-wheel drive, because it's got a viscous coupling in it that connects those four wheels and allows them to turn independent of each other. It's like a... Uh, for lack of a better term, it's almost like a glorified torque converter in there that allows, it's like a clutch that's designed to slip. Yeah. And those, yeah. if you put a tire on that's bigger than the others, it will burn that up. We've, we've had several failures on those. Now, you don't want to do that on this vehicle for the mere fact that you don't want to put two odd-sized tires on the same differential. Right. On the same axle. Right. So you. But this the- is just a diff lock. All it does is locks the differential together to make both wheels pull on the rear instead of just one. Right. Okay. So I think most of the time. So I think if I'm driving on the highway, I think it's pro- it's just powering with One. two wheels, like just the front wheels. Yeah. And then if you're like trying to get out of a muddy field, it sort of works out that they're slipping, and then it engages. The, it puts some power to the rear wheel. Okay. And and do you have to push a button to make it do that? It automatically does that. I think it's automatic. I need to read the manual. Really, I probably should. Yeah. If it's automatic, then everything is is different. Yeah. If you have yeah. to push a button to actually engage and disengage, then it's not an all-wheel drive. Yeah. And, you know, Mark, if you want to shoot me an email, I'll look it up in service data because I'm just going off the top right. of my head. There's so many different systems on cars today, it's hard to keep yeah, track of yeah, all the stuff they're enough. putting in there. But anything that you can engage and disengage is usually not going to be a problem. Anything that is it's always engaged or automatically engages might be a problem. So, yeah, so I, I was thinking, well, if it's only going to engage when the wheels are slipping in mud, then it may not be a problem if one tire's slightly, you know, if the tire's yes, on the front yes. is slightly different. To and the and again, I probably wouldn't, if I had like one third of the tire left on three of them, I wouldn't put a brand new one on there with it. You know, but it, it's just a matter of degree. You know, as long as you're reasonable about it, you can generally get by with some stuff like that. But where we normally see a problem... Uh, someone will have the tires are almost worn out, and they'll put one new tire, and that definitely causes a, a, a problem because that tire is taller, which means it is going to rotate, you know, a different rate than the other three tires. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll, I'll read the owner's manual because that will probably answer as well. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that would be the ideal situation. Has the weather started cooling off over there uh, in in London, Mark? Uh, it has a bit, but I think this week it's going to be really warm. It's going to be 30 Celsius. I'm not sure what yeah. that is in Fahrenheit. But yeah, it's, it's, be it's nice warm. warm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you something else, actually, if I've got Yeah, time. go ahead. Sure. Um, I think I've spoken to you in the past about how cars built sort of like in the mid to late 2000s are generally cheaper to run than, than the newer stuff. I find so, yes. Yeah. Is that still the case? And I guess the second bit is... How do we know when that changes? Because eventually the years are going to catch up to them, right? That's right. And and that's basically happened now. Really from the mid-90s to the mid-2000s were the best cars as far as durability and longevity, in my opinion, oh, really? that they ever built. Yes, sir. And oh, wow. the problem is those cars now are getting so old that you know it, it's sort of becoming a mute point. But, yeah, if you had like a 96 or 98 model Chevy Suburban, I mean, you couldn't kill it. You would get tired of seeing it, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, before anything would wear out. Parts were readily available for it. Yeah, you know, relatively inexpensive repair. The engines in those things would last 300,000 miles easily. And we're seeing on some of the newer cars 80, 80 90,000 yeah. miles having to put engines in them. It's wow. ridiculous. Not so Not- much on Toyota. They're still building those, I think, in my opinion, to a higher standard, yeah. but we're seeing it on Fords, we're seeing it on GMs, we're seeing it on Chrysler, particularly, and again, I don't work on European, so I'm not familiar with those, 
But yeah, it's just the engines are so complex and they're extending those oil changes out so ridiculously long that we're seeing a lot, a lot of engine failures and, you know, major problems that what I consider way too low a mileage. You know, one thing you can see like GM used to give a five year, 100,000 mile powertrain warranty and they backed off of that. They, they don't have that any longer. <laughs> like 60,000 now? Something, or something like that. Yeah, yeah they, they, they know. <laughs> well, you build a car that lasts forever. It's just not good business, is it? Yeah, so no, it's you're not. not. You're not it's really not. One. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I'll let you get on. Thank All right, Mark. Thanks for Thank calling, you. man. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Bye. Uh, that's Mark Wadham from London, England. Uh-huh. I said, if he, Mark could call all the way from London, England. Oh, yeah. Then you can call him back. Sure, yeah. sure enough. <laughs> there you go. We're going to throw, throw a little challenge out there to everybody. <laughs> you know? That guy could call him halfway around the world, and you could call from Baton Rouge. That's it. We're- that's right. <laughs> well, I see we're getting just about out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Uh, iHeart, Stitcher, yeah. Podbean, just to name a few. Yeah, there's many, many of them out there. Find you listen to podcasts. Right. Find a written view and please fill it out for us. There you go. It moves up in the rankings and also encourages us to keep on doing the show because it uh, lets us know we're doing a good job. So, yeah, if you... If you're not happy, then don't do anything. <laughs> if you are happy, go give us a read. There you go. <laughs> hey, pre-seating was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.